A world is full of unlikely heroes and unexpected victories. I was at a men's retreat at another church a good long time ago, and the winner of the hole in the one in a hole-in-one contest was someone who had never picked up a golf driver before. And you know what happened, right? First time he ever swung a, a golf club, he made a hole-in-one. I read in a newspaper also once a, a Florida boy on a bus full of school-aged children. And the bus driver had a seizure and the children were on the bus. The bus was going downhill. The driver of the bus was passed out. The boy, the very young boy, had the presence of mind and the courage to go up to the front of the bus and press on the brakes as hard as he could until it stopped. Another unlikely hero. Both stories are, the, the last, are, are of the last person you would have expected to have won the tournament or save the lives of someone on a bus. You just never know who's going to rise to the top or save the day. In the book of Judges, I find a, a similar story. A, a man who led Israel to victory and became one of the great judges. No one would have guessed it would be him. His name was Gideon. Gideon. We find his story in the book of Judges, chapter 6. For the sake of time, uh, here's the background for this true story from God's word, the Bible. According to uh, chapter 531, after Deborah and Barak's great victory over the Canaanites, the Canaanites who were mortal enemies of the Israelites were pushed back and sent packing by the Israelites. So then there was peace in Israel for 40 years. Let's begin uh, today at verse 11, skipping over, reading some verses, verses 1 to 10 in the interest of time. And in doing that, let me just fill you in of what those verses tell us. It tells us that according to uh, chapter 531, that after Deborah and Barak's great victory over the Canaanites, there was that in Israel for 40 years. And during that time, those who were obedient and faithful to the Lord They were in the fore. They were leading. They were guiding the people. And God blessed Israel as a result. But soon after that generation passed from leadership, the people of Israel returned to their wicked ways, worshiping Baal and the Asherah, basically mythological Canaanite gods of fertility and war. And they swept in through the land again, even tainting the most noble and upright households. As a result, God again removed his hand of protection from Israel, and new oppressors came into the land. This time they were uh, nomadic peoples, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the sons of the east, uh, nomads of the Syrian desert. If you're older as as I am, you might uh, put a picture of this. Uh, If you remember the, uh, the villains in the early Clint Eastwood movies, they would, come, uh, the, uh, they would come in mass at the harvest times. They would sweep into a town, actually into entire regions, and disarm and abuse the people and then settle in to gorge themselves. And 
after their bellies were full and their loot sacks were stuffed, they would destroy any of the remaining crops, steal any remaining animals, leave the town with a promise to return again. Well, the people of Israel were, were devastated. Chapter 6 tells us that the situation got so bad that the people actually began to move into caves in the mountains to hide out from the marauders. And in their desperation, they cried to the Lord for help. Interestingly, though, the scripture indicates that they didn't really repent. They just simply cried out for the Lord for help again. But the Lord, who is full of grace and kindness, responded kindly and even to that, even that they didn't deserve it. But he sent a prophet, God sent a prophet to call the, the uh, people to repentance. Did they repent? Hardly not at all. But God is such a loving God, he responds even to the few and even to those who open the door just a crack. He reels, uh, reveals himself even to those who are just beginning to seek him. And he began to provide for Israel to provide new spiritual leadership, and behind that, new military leadership. Verse 11, uh, verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth. That's a tree. <laughs> the angel, angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abia's right, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, to understand this portion of scripture, let's uh, be clear about a few facts. First of all, uh, in this short passage here, is mentioned the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? Well, not what the text, uh, note what the text says. He's not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, which as we clearly see from what follows, means that he's the Lord himself appearing in a human form. That's called a theophany, which is a manifestation of God. We're told about a number of these in the Old Testament. A careful study of both the Old and Testament reveals this, that the angel of the Lord is God the Son, Jesus Christ, before his birth about 2,000 years ago. So here then is, is God the Son, and he came to Gideon, the man Gideon. And of all these things, He's beating out wheat in a wine press. Now, why would Gideon be doing that instead of working on a threshing floor? What is he? Wheat is not beaten in wine presses. Why then would he be doing that? Was he crazy? No, he just he had two good motives. Number one, there was precious little food to be had, so he was scrounging for any kind of food. He had to hide from his enemies, the invaders who would certainly kill him. But the Lord knew exactly where he is, just like he knows, we know, and he knows us right here in this place. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The word Lord here is Yahweh, the, the personal covenant God, the I am, the maker of the universe. Now, that's an interesting thing to say to someone hiding out, isn't it? Was he a valiant warrior? We do not know. Perhaps he had shown bravery in some time past, but the evidence suggests he was a bit of a rookie at being a warrior at that point. Certainly, he wasn't acting the part of a warrior at that time. And so, naturally, that part of the comment, as well as the rest, 
sounds strange to Gideon when he hears it. In verse 13, we read this. uh, And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this happening to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Was Gideon actually really complaining? I don't think so. He's just simply responding to to what sounds to him to be a ridiculous comment. The Lord is with us? Have you looked around? Do you see what I'm doing? No, the Lord is not with us, and and I'm hardly a valiant warrior. Verse 14, we see God's reply. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? The look evidently made an impact along with the tone of voice. Gideon begins to get the the picture now. Well, that wasn't a statement. That was an announcement, even a call, perhaps a, a command. Could this be another prophet with a legitimate message? Verse 15, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. That is, how can I be a deliverer? I don't have the family connections or the friends to accomplish anything. And besides that, I'm not even the most able or influential in my family. I'm a nobody with no ability. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man but I will be with you. As one man, as, as if they were only one person, because I will be with you. Gideon at that point begins to sense that this is a man of God and one speaking for God and that the message is real. Beginning in verse 17, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to know you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will still, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. For what purpose? That he might honor this guest and so determined for sure what this is all about. He's looking for clarification, some sign of of confirmation. But God gives him even more. God gives him more. Verse 20 says, And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. He turned it into an instant sacrificial offering. God did. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, For I now have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. 
That is, he became terrified and, and distraught. The belief of the time was that no one could glimpse God without dying. And Gideon, it seems, believed that. Certainly, the miracle before him and the understanding that he, that he a sinner, had faced God overwhelmed him. And he felt shaky, to say the least. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Apparently, it seems from the scriptures, it was almost as if he was hearing an inward voice. Of course, that was the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. Verse 24, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abia's rites. That is, it could still be found in Israel at the time Judges was written. Was it elaborate? No, it was probably nothing more than a mound of stones. Why did Gideon build the the altar? It was because the altar was the, the means of approaching God in the Old Testament system of worship. Gideon built the altar that he might personally worship God at that place. Why would he do it? Because he didn't die? Well, certainly he was grateful for that, but much more. Gideon built the altar there that he might express to God not only his gratitude, but also his submission to him and his dependence upon him, and most important, his acceptance of God's call to him to be the deliverer of Israel. Gideon had no idea at that point what that really meant. But he said to God right there, I thank you for your love and grace, and I accept your call to me. Note, that, wasn't, that, was, the, uh, note, that was the beginning point of Gideon's transformation. That began the process of, of Gideon becoming a mighty warrior, a leader, a judge in Israel. Accepting God's call was one step, and it was step one. So it remains for us, men and women, it remains for us. In order for God to accomplish his great work in our lives, in order to become all that he intends and desires for us to be, we must first accept his call to us. And that is true no matter what the call. Whether God is calling you to become his follower, re, uh, receive Jesus Christ as Savior, or whether it's something beyond that. For example, it, it might be this. Maybe it's a super single servant or a dynamic couple or a godly parent. A great witness at work in the neighborhood or beyond. A small group leader, a teacher, a committee chairman, a pastor. To holy living, purity, and righteousness. Or maybe this is a season of life where all you can do right now is to care for a child with an illness or to care for an aging spouse. Whatever the call, the key to you becoming what God is calling you is that you accept that call and know what that involves. Number one, acknowledging that the call is directed toward us. Gideon, we note, though at that first confused and doubting time, he he came to accept that God was speaking directly to him. That's step one for us in accepting God's call. say, well, that's obvious. Well, yes, it is. But we need to mention it because sometimes God calls us through the plain teaching of the word or by the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
We either decide it does not, it does not apply to us, or we choose to say, no, that's not for me. Many years ago, my wife Laurel and I uh, were living down in California, and um, we were on board the Queen Mary cruise ship in Long Beach, California, with a group of church friends. In case you're, you're not really familiar with the Queen Mary, it, at the time before World War II, it was the ocean liner uh, of the world. Uh, the Queen Mary, it was the second largest ship in that day, and, and it was actually bigger than the Titanic when it was built. It doesn't sail anymore there, uh, but it's tethered to the dock, and it's available for tours and events and stuff. And it is luxurious and huge, and most people n- never see it all. That evening, we somehow ended up in a remote part of, of the ship with Mark, a, a friend of ours. Mark uh, was, and I'm sure still is, a lawyer, which meant he wasn't afraid of things like no trespassing signs and velvet ropes to restrict passage to the parts of the ship and not meant for the public. And to our surprise, Mark pulled back the velvet rope and he said, well, let's take a tour of the rest of the ship. I remember him saying also, we'll go to the top of it too. Laurel and I are usually compliant about uh, obeying signs like, signs like that and such, but we stepped right in behind and, and Mark behind Mark because of of who we were following. We knew who he was. We knew all about him. And so we followed. First of all, he was, he was a lawyer, you know, there. And, and we figured we could just talk out of any, anything. Secondly, Mark had a big heart, and we just trusted him fully. So we had an extra special night because of that trust and because we said yes to his invitation. By the way, they did come and get us off the, off the uh, boat there for after a while. When we say no, we slam door, the door against God working in our lives. To open the door, we must accept that God's word applies to us and that the Holy Spirit leads each one of us. Also, we need, uh, also when we do sense his leading through urges, through burdens felt and needs made known, he's speaking directly to us. We must acknowledge his call. That is step one in accepting it. Number two, what is step two? Say yes to God's call. Stay yes. Unless otherwise indicated, it applies to you. Believing that God can accomplish his work in us and, and through us, believing what he sees in us. Gideon, we see, didn't believe in himself, but he believed what God could do in him. That is an essential part of accepting God's call. We must believe that God can and will accomplish what he desires in those who trust him. For some of you, that's the biggest stumbling block to becoming all that God could make you. You don't believe what he could do in you. You believe that all of the negative words you have heard, all of the negative experiences you have had are proof positive that you will never succeed. You're saying that to you, or you look at yourself and all, uh, all you see are you are limitations. And you say, there's no hope here. No hope here in this body. But listen, understand this. God never looks at you that way. Oh, he knows about all of your problems, but he also knows exactly what he had in mind when he created you. And he knows what he can do in you if you will let him. He sees your potential. Do you remember his first words 
to Gideon, God saw what Gideon would be through his power. God always sees your potential in him. What you need to do is to believe. If he commands, he will supply. If he leads you out, he will go with you. Believe. That's step two in accepting God's call. Is there something more to it? Only one other thing, making the decision to accept. Gideon, we see, came to a crossroads. He had all the info he needed, but he still had to choose, and he chose to accept. He made his decision, and he formalized his commitment in worship. To really accept God's call means in some way to present ourselves to God. To not just say, well, I hear you, Lord, but rather to actually say, yes, God, I accept. There's no true accepting God's call until we make that decisive commitment, and that must take place no matter the call. If it does, will we be on our way? Absolutely. Are we all set then? No. That acceptance must happen, and it's the first step, but something else must happen before we're truly on our way. It's a little matter called follow-through. Follow-through. Notice what it's all about, verses 25 and 26. Moving along in the story, that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that has your father. And cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there, with stones laid in due order. And then take take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. What did the Lord immediately ask Gideon to do? Follow through with? Obedience. Obedience. Gideon said, God, I accept your call. God said, fine, Gideon, let's get it going. Go after the Midianites? No, Gideon, let's start at the personal level. The altar of Baal is not right for you, Gideon. And we can't talk about the people of Israel driving out the unrighteous until they themselves are done with unrighteousness. So let's start with the idol in your daddy's backyard. It was truly, he had a backyard. In the backyard, there was an idol. And Gideon had to make a choice. He took a big gulp. Lord, are you sure you don't want me to start with the Midianites? No, Gideon. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told them. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Gideon was scared, as scared as a man could be. But what did he do? He obeyed. You know what happened? Gideon's worst nightmare came true. The men of the city came looking to kill him. It was looking very grim, but an incredible thing occurred. Gideon's father repented, and shielded him from the men. Let Baal do his own dirty work, he said. When Baal didn't, guess what happened? Gideon suddenly 
got a warrior reputation. Jerubbabel, which means let Baal contend or Baal warrior, is what was said. Finally, the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. Now the timing of all this is important to understand. When did this occur? If we look in the scripture, we know that it was after obedience. After obedience. The key to letting God work is this. God does not give strength for the big mission until there is obedience at home. So we need to think about our obedience at home. The physical home, or maybe even just another home. What in the world's up there? God always works that way and will not find the power for the important task until we obey in the first things. Those who don't obey and follow find themselves stuck in neutral, but those who do find transforming them and using them in ways they never thought would or could be. About this, here's then we come to a point where each of us have to do what God calls us to do, honors us, brings us to him. Am I following God's call? Am I following God's call? This is about the call. Number one, receive Christ. Have you done that? Receive Christ. Number two, clean up the backyard. What kind of cruddy stuff that don't belong in your life? Get out there and clean up the backyard. Number three, take a stand. Take a stand. Gideon had to do that. And then trust and wait. There are choices here. This has been a fairly simple place of scripture, a call. It's right here. It's just a a clear, true story. It's just so simple. But it's all about God's call. Receive Christ. Clean up the backyard. Take a stand. Trust and wait. What will you do on this day? and tomorrow, and beyond. Thank you, Lord God. Through this story, it's been the story of calling. It's the story of God's love loving us. It's the story of putting us in good places to know God and serve God. This is the time to go all out, to put everything else aside, and putting knowing God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
all reaching out, all speaking to you, all calling to you, just waiting. Thank you, Lord God. We take in your kindness, your love. And as we do this, Holy Spirit, come and give us this direction. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.